0: Hi everyone! This is Carmen and Christina, and this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Historias Unknown. Yes, stories that are unknown, obscure. In case everyone doesn't know what historia means, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. And today, I I am bringing the historia unknown to Carmen. Cool. What are we talking about today? Yeah, so I had told you one thing and then I changed my mind last minute. So mm, I knew it. Oh, my God. It's like, you know me. Wow. It's It's like 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 we're twins twins. or something. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So at the time this releases, the day before would have been Veterans Day. And, you know, one thing we don't learn about a lot is the role that Latinas, Latinos had during World War II. And because I don't want to glorify the military. I'm going to focus on the military actions that Latinos had, um, which were pretty significant. They fought in places like the Battle of the Bulge. I didn't know that. Yes. Well, I knew yeah. that Mexico sent troops, if I'm remembering right. Mexico had an elite aircraft unit uh, that they sent over to uh, Europe. They didn't send a lot of troops because if we recall the time period we're in, the Bracero program was full force and Mexico Mm -hmm. was providing workers to the United States through the Bracero program because every man, virtually every man was Mm -hmm. overseas. Um, You know, at the same time, we learned about things like uh, Rosie the Riveter, but you know who we didn't learn about? Rosita the Riveter, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mexican and Mexican American women they worked hard to fill these work shor- shortages during World War II. Um, same with Black women. And I, and that is not really talked about because on top of facing the issues with gender uh, discrimination, they faced racial discrimination uh, in these factories. The, the white women didn't want to work with the Black women. So often Mexican women were paired up with uh, Black women and the Riveter machines, they needed to be a team. And at first, like there was one Mexican one woman I was reading her story about it. And she was like, at first there was prejudice on both sides. But, you know, we worked together. We started eating lunch together. These communities got really close during this time. And we don't learn about that. Yeah. Um, at all. So, and that's what I was going to talk about. But now I'm going to talk about something else. <laughs> there is so much with World, to, World War II. One episode is not enough. Because on top of uh, all the Rosita the Riveter stories. There's the the combat roles that I mentioned earlier. There were segregated battalions of Mexican and Mexican-American men. There were segregated battalions of Puerto Rican men. During this time, these units spent a lot of time in the Philippines, especially because uh, they knew Spanish and they could serve as sort of translators for mm. Tagalog. So that's why they were in the Philippines. And many mm. of these people... Uh, many Puerto Ricans and Mexicans endured the terrible uh, Baton Death March. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. Basically, the Japanese uh, soldiers mm-hmm. and took uh, American soldiers and uh, Fil- Filipino people uh, to... A pri- they took them as prisoners, prisoners? of war. Okay. Yeah. That's because I was going to say POW and then I was going to say prisoners of wars and then I was getting all mixed up in my brain. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they took them on uh on this like long ass march where a bunch of people die and they were starved and they took them to that prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of those people were a lot of those soldiers were Mexican. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Um yeah, and yeah, so this is one place they spent a lot of time. They were sent to the Panama Canal because they the US military suspected that that was going to be a source of attack by the Japanese. It's estimated that up to 500,000 Latinos served during World War II, and that's not even counting all the women that served, because um, I'm not uh, I guess, there's just so much because you're a sexist? Yes. Um, no. <laughs> Of course. No, because I didn't write any notes because I originally had half notes about Rosita de Riveter, which oh. didn't serve in the military. So the notes I have, didn't. I didn't write any notes for women that served. Um, but yeah, a lot of Mexican-American women and a lot of Puerto Rican women served as nurses and in other roles. So yeah, uh, entire families served. Like, I don't know if you remember the five Sullivan brothers that all passed away. And then there was just like groups of brothers yeah. that... We're all serving like, you know, the whole Saving Private Ryan thing. Well, um, I mean, the same thing happened to giant Mexican and Puerto Rican families. Like uh, there were uh, these seven brothers. They were called the Fighting Medinas. And they were seven brothers um, who were all overseas. There was uh, another set of five Mexican-American brothers, the Rios family, that were called the Fighting Five Rios brothers. They were all overseas, too but again these people just didn't get uh much attention as much as the uh, white families that were all you know serving so yeah entire families siblings were gone so the um sisters mothers wives are holding down the the home and you know working you know many of them were like the ones that were working in factories they couldn't afford the the few dakers daycares that existed were private daycares and they couldn't afford them, so they were like doing all the home stuff and then you know, taking the kids to school, cooking, cleaning all awake pretty much all day, then taking short naps and then working night Man, shifts while while women that were not working were taking care of kids in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. so it was very still very community oriented but um but yes, it was very hard. But today, I want to focus on Puerto Rican soldiers and some of their experience during the war. Uh, So just like Black soldiers, and also Mexican soldiers, they faced discrimination, prejudice, and racism. Puerto Ricans that were fluent in English were often sent to regular army units. Um, Those that were not fluent were placed in Puerto Rican-only units. Um, And many were also placed in Black units. So in their documents, they were stamped with acronyms that said WPR or CPR. And this was White Puerto Rican or Colored Puerto Rican. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't know that. And uh, for many, many Puerto Ricans, this was their first time out of the island. And did you know, you've heard the song um, Mi Viejo San Juan? Yeah. This is a very famous bolero, and it came from this, uh, time frame. Oh, I didn't know that. In the perspective of a soldier leaving and, you know, saying, and maybe viejo San Juan, I don't know if I'm going to return. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that either. There was another one, and I forgot the name, but that's the one I recognize more because I listen to it once in a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> um, My dumbass, my very Mexican self. You thought San Juan was in Mexico. Years ago, I thought it was a Mexican song. Mm. Like, not not now but when i was in high school and dumb. i used to think it was also a, a mexico song you know why though because i guess in my head i thought i was like well why would they sing that if they could go back <laughs> but now that you say um now that you said it was written by um during that time frame like and you said it was in the perspective like of a puerto rican of a soldier man leaving. leaving yeah, yeah for the military, Mm -hmm. won't makes sense that they didn't know if they were going to go back. But in my head, you know, I'm like, but they can't go back to the island. It's not like they're undocumented. Like, but there's a lot of reasons people can't go back, you know, finances and whatnot. But that's in my head what I thought back then. Um, But yeah, I had no idea about that song. So many Puerto Rican soldiers, along with Black soldiers, were experimented on during this time frame solely because they were not white. Experimented on, is that what we're gonna be talking about tonight? <laughs> I guess that is what we're gonna be talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, we're gonna oh, be talking man. about Puerto Rican soldiers exposed to mustard gas. Mustard gas. World War the hell is that? I mean you're gonna get into it, but I just I've never heard of that before. This is truly an historia unknown. Yeah. So, I mean, we all we all know that the people always chosen to get yeah. exper- experimented on like this are usually black uh people followed by other uh racial groups, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this case, it black soldiers, Puerto Rican soldiers and Japanese American soldiers along with a few white soldiers because they were the uh Control group. Mm. So they didn't get the mustard gas. No, some of them oh, did, okay, not okay. all of them. But they were also affected. But but Majority. Puerto Rican black soldiers and Puerto Rican soldiers were solely looked for and, and Japanese soldiers American soldiers were looked for because of their race, making this, you know, a race thing. <laughs> oh my god. Because, you know, people are like, where do you have to make this about First race? First of all, this is everything <laughs> has to do with race in this country, which is yeah. built on racism. Okay, go on. Yeah. So researchers wanted to see what mustard gas, among other chemicals, did to non-white skin. Uh, they wanted to see how it affected darker skin. And this is the worst part. If they proved... L- but why? Oh, oh, what oh, let me tell you. Okay. So if... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> if they prove less, suscepti- less susceptible to mustard gassing white men, then they could be used in the front lines in combat in Europe or in the Pacific instead of white troops. Oh my God. Because they're more if expendable the and disposable. Weapons. Yes. Yes. You yes. know, that movie, The Expendables, mm-hmm. shouldn't have been a bunch of old white men. It should have been uh, Puerto Rican, Black, and Japanese soldiers then. Yeah, Exactly. And then the tests on Japanese Americans were likely done for offensive purposes because they wanted to see what the gas did to Japanese Mm -hmm. people. And they thought, oh, Japanese Americans are Japanese. So um, we're going to see what the gas does to them so we can see how it's going to affect our enemy when we use it on Japanese, actual Japanese forces. And there was actually a whole plan to detonate um, a giant mustard gas bomb, it never happened because instead they used Mm, the atomic bomb yeah but these projects were done in conjunction to see which one was more effective the manhattan project and then the one in a little bit about this that's the atomic bomb yeah so that was being developed at the same time as all these experiments because they wanted to see what was more effective because they were going to use this in japan this gas not just the soldiers of course because it affects everyone right so uh while Japanese-American families were facing, you know, the whole relocating and being placed in intermittent camps, uh, Japanese-American soldiers were being used as substitutes for a Japanese enemy in these experiments. I um, mean many, not only Japanese, a lot of people were drafted. But in this generation, so many of these uh, groups were enlisting to prove how American they were, especially Japanese were like Americans were seen as the enemy. But they were like, you know what? I'm going to enlist because I need to show that I'm not the enemy. Mexicans, we talked about it in the Chavez Mm -hmm. Ravine episode, but many Mexicans were joining because they were also trying to prove that they were American. And there was a whole campaign in, in L.A. getting Mexicans to join as a means of rising above poverty Mm -hmm. and again to prove that they are american and that they're not lazy mexicans puerto ricans we talked about it in the vieques episode Mm -hmm. but puerto ricans puerto rico was specifically sought out by the united states because they could be used in to train military there and to use them to draft and to send out to wars too um, so Puerto Ricans were also joining to escape poverty, but also to prove that they were American. It's just sad That's that, that like big, these um, yeah. men wanted to or joined voluntarily because they wanted to prove yeah. that they're American and they were used and abused, which, you know, one could say the military does to everyone anyway. But this is in yeah. a more like purposeful, you know, way. Yes, Exactly. 60,000 enlisted men were enrolled in a secret program during World War II. These documents were declassified in 1993 and then brought to light in 2008 by an article titled Mustard Gas and American Race-Based Human Experimentation in World War II, written by historian uh, Susan L. Smith. And this was in the Journal of Law and Medical Ethics. I just love these histories. Sorry, I was going to say, I just love these historians yeah. that bring these atrocities, Un- uncovering this um, yeah, to the people um, because we wouldn't know about yeah. it otherwise. So thank you, historians. <laughs> exactly. But this didn't receive much, much attention, not until 2015, when NPR, someone at NPR found this journal or this article, and then they were you know horrified and they began their own investigation. And this was in 2015. So this is really when it came out, but really not that much because I don't know about it. <laughs> not that I mean, like, not that I know everything, I know. but like, <laughs> I'm just learning about it. Um, <laughs> so NPR conducted an investigation and spoke to and tracked down a lot of these men. Japanese Americans, black soldiers, Puerto Rican soldiers were all singled out. The white soldiers were the scientific control group, but they were still part of the affected number. They just weren't sought out racially, mm-hmm. like black soldiers, Japanese Americans, and Puerto Ricans. The men that were used in these experiments were sworn to secrecy and threatened with dishonorable discharge if they said anything about these experiments. Or if, or they were also threatened with, like, military imprisonment if they said anything. So many of them were uh, unable to seek treatment because of these threats, right? So uh, what mustard gas... Well, let me tell you, I guess, first what mustard gas is and then what it, some of the stuff that it does. So uh, it's um, sulfur mustard... Um, it's a chemical compound belonging to cytotoxic and blister agents. So that's what that's what it okay. does, like in the most uh, basic definition of it. Um, but it it causes it damages DNA within seconds of contact. Uh, it causes painful blisters, burns, and then it can lead to serious life threatening illnesses wow. like leukemia, skin cancer, wow. emphysema, and asthma. Yeah. And so these men had these issues, but they couldn't even say anything because if they... I was reading... And, oh, sorry. No, just go on. Yeah. I was going to say if they sought help, then they would have to say how, how yeah. it happened. There was one uh, soldier. His, he was a black soldier. I forgot. I didn't write his name down because I was focusing on the Puerto Rican soldiers. But it, uh, it's linked in the NPR article that uh, it's going to be in the show notes. But he would carry a jar full of like this, his skin that would fall off. Wow. He would carry this jar to show people, like, this is real. This is all my skin cells and skin st- skin pieces that have fallen off because of these experiments. Uh, and, yeah, he has a picture of the jar while he's holding it. And he's got scars. His arms are full wow. of scars. Um, terrible. Ugh. So... In 1991, federal officials admitted conducting mustard gas experiments on troops during World War II, but they also didn't disclose that these were race-based experiments until the 2008 article that was published. That's when Smith um, wrote that Black and Puerto Rican troops were tested in search of an ideal chemical soldier. If they were more resistant, they could be used on the front oh lines God. while white soldiers stayed back, protected from the gas. So she was the one who like made the connection that this, is, this was race-based. But they didn't admit it in 1991 when they said, yeah, we did mustard gas experiments in World War II on our own troops. In her, in her paper, she wrote that there was three types of experiments that were done. A patch tests, where liquid mustard gas was applied directly onto the soldier's skin. Field tests where subjects were exposed to gas outdoors in simulated combat settings. And then there was chamber tests where men were locked inside gas chambers while mustard gas was piped inside my god and the um guy that i was telling you about that yeah. he had the jar of his skin yeah um so him he was one of the people that were conduct or were subjected to the gas chamber experiments and he said that like they closed the door on them and like you know this stuff came in and like instantly people were just screaming in like horrible oh pain and like passing out and they would like run to try and open the door and the door was locked. Wow. And how long were they being there for? Until they couldn't stand oh, it wow. anymore. Um, yeah. Many of these experiments took place in Panama because of the similarities in climate to the Pacific Islands. And of course, the soldiers that were all sent to Panama were Puerto Rican because they could speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So um, these experiments took place in, on the San Jose Island of Panama and they were called the San Jose Project. So uh, one veteran, his name was Jose Lopez Negron. He recalls that um he and other soldiers were sent out to the jungle and the mustard gas rained down on them from above. It was deployed from planes. Oh, wow. So they by. dropped it on the environment and everyone that was yes. there, not only yes. the soldiers. Wow. Which, I mean, it's uh-huh. already wrong to subject the soldiers to it, but now you're subjecting the environment and yeah. the animals. Um, He... He said that they were burned and felt sick immediately. And he was in the hospital for three weeks after this attack. Um, But what really impacted him the most was seeing the animals. They were surrounded by bunnies. Oh, no. And he just watched them all die as soon as the mustard gas hit them. And he said, you know, they had their uniforms to sort of protect them, but the animals had nothing. And actually, I read another interview about a white soldier who was also subjected to similar gas raining down on them but he said they had full seaburn outfits so gloves oh my god but these men had nothing and these the prodecan soldiers had nothing except their regular uniforms no gas masks like nothing disgusting very another soldier who's actually a pretty famous author as well as like a professor i think but his name was uh his name is gabriel soto rivera Uh, he was born on march 20th 1923 he was a poor mountain farmer from the tropical Caribbean island of Puerto Rico. This, a lot of this about him, I took from a website basically directly because it was written so well. <laughs> I know. I was like, why did so, you describe Puerto Rico like that? <laughs> why did I say it like that? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> so he was from a, a community, I guess you could say, that was called Hibados. And this was the rough equivalent to a hillbilly mm. in English. Um, so the Hivados were a self-sufficient mountain farming community. Uh, they grew what they needed and they made little from selling crops. And they, you know, were able to purchase few necessities that they could not make or grow. Uh, transportation was by foot unless they had horses um, that were not being used for other farm chores. As a boy, he would look out from the high hill on the farm and observe the emerald blue sea of the Atlantic. So he could see ships traveling on it and he daydreamed that one day he could travel as well and see the world. And when he heard that soldiers were well fed in the U.S. Army, he was like, you know what? I'm going to enlist because they often went very hungry in this mm. community. Um, they were just they were uh, from impoverished areas. When he first tried to enlist in 1943, he was too skinny and too sickly. So he was rejected. But as the war progressed, demands for soldiers grew and what's it called qualifications went down like they weren't as demanding anymore so he registered again and he was able to enlist in march 1944 and he was 5'9 and he weighed 139 oh my god i weigh 140 pounds and i'm five feet (laughs) and i'm not gonna show my weight but yes (laughs) just to show how underweight he was you know so despite the strict and harsh training, um, Gabriel, he liked uh, that he had three square meals a day. One of them included meat. He never went hungry. He gained weight and he gained muscle too. He ate foods that he had never tasted before, like beef steak and mashed potatoes and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had clothes, you know, uniform, shoes, free food, his own bed compared to his previous life, and even though he was just a private, he was essentially rich mm-hmm. compared to before. Before, you know, when he could find work on the island, he earned 40 cents uh, for a full day, um, and it was backbreaking labor. So compared to this, it was like he went from poverty to middle class in an instant, and he saved as much as he could to send back to his parents and siblings. After basic training, he was sent to Camp Henry in Puerto Rico uh, in the Central Mountain Range. And, you know, they were spent time there. They were told that they were going to be going to the European theater because they were given wool clothes. And so everyone thought that's what was going to happen. And they were given a three days pass to visit family before the deployment. When he returned from that uh, leave, he learned that the orders had changed. So they had to turn in their wool clothes and... Everyone was asked to remove their shirts and an inspecting officer walked through the formation looking at their backs. And he's like, why are we all being looked at? And this is when they were written down or separated into two groups, white and colored. And um, he was put into the white Puerto Rican unit. This unit was uh, Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 295th Infantry Regiment. And they were sent to the Panama Canal. So their motto for the unit was todo por la patria, all for the country. And this was uh, previously part of the Puerto Rican National Guard. Um, and they had been sent to uh, to Panama to protect the, cana- the canal zone from enemy attack. But he also remembers guarding German prisoner of wars in Panama. Mm-hmm. So I guess they had prisons there. I didn't know that. While serving in Panama, he... Had some jungle training, and he also there was also while he was there, the US Army was looking for soldiers to participate in a series of secret experiments involving mustard gas. He was voluntold. Mm. Um, so you know, his first sergeant volunteered him and a few other soldiers from his uh unit. Um, so none of them were asked <laughs> to do this. He they were told was basically forced, yeah, and um. The soldier I mentioned earlier, the Black soldier whose name I cannot remember. I should have written it down. Roland Edwards is who I'm... Yeah, Roland Edwards. He... Fuck, what was I going to say about him? Because this was another side note. Oh, yeah. He said that they couldn't say no to the experiments either. And they also... It was like a sense... On top of it being like a sense of duty, it was also like uh, the the time in the military you had to do what you were told. You couldn't question anything. Um, and, you know, you add on top of that, that they were Black or they were Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was even worse to defy orders. So same, same thing. Um, they were volunteered. Uh, they, weren't, they couldn't say no to doing this. Yeah. And he recalls, um, so Gabriel Soto Rivera recalls during these experiments, seeing animals being tied down and then them being exposed to mustard gas. And then planes flying over them, dropping mustard gas bombs as mentioned earlier with the other soldier. And the he Soto recalls having full chemical protective clothing and gas masks. But the other one, Private Negron, he didn't have any of that. So I guess I think they probably conducted a bunch of experiments and they probably sometimes mm-hmm. had Protective gear and sometimes didn't. So he, uh, Gabriel Soto Rivera, considers himself lucky because the gas soaked through his gloves and burned his knuckles. But nothing worse than that. He remembers seeing one soldier panic, tear his mask off and then run away. And that soldier was never seen again. Oh, my God. So who knows what happened to him? He... Wasn't allowed to speak openly about the mustard gas experiments until 2005. He received a letter for benefits. And that letter said that he could talk about it to go to the VA for for help, right? Um, But uh, some people didn't seek any help for a very long time because they couldn't. And then just a little bit more on uh, Soto Rivera. He ETS'd in 1946, but then he later served in the Korean and Vietnam Wars as well. I mean, that was just his experience with the gas. And then as well as I couldn't find more people talking specifically about the gas, but this was like the longest information I could hear on it. So, but there was three types of mustard gas programs conducted um, through the Army Chemical Warfare Service and then the Naval Research Laboratory. The first type was the drop and patch test where they put put it onto bare skin. The second type was the open field testing with airplanes and sometimes, oh yes, yeah, so look here it is. Sometimes they were wearing levels of protective clothing, sometimes just the basic uniform. And then the third type of test was the one that... The gas chambers? Yes. Roland Edwards was subjected to. Roland's Edwards, my bad. Roland's Edwards. Um, which it was the, called the man break test. They would place the man in gas chambers and then release it and... They would use this to de- determine how long before the men were in- incapacitated. Oh Gone. So, uh, veterans have insisted that they were given no warning about what the mustard gas could do to them. There was little immediate care and no follow up care at all. I'm sure. Yeah, the mustard gas exposure, you know, caused a wide range of pain and humiliation for the soldiers, and some of them described it as a form of torture. Yeah. Right? I I would agree. Some soldiers experienced immediate and severe eye injuries, damage to the lungs. Many had burns and blistering on their skin, especially the face, hands, underarms, uh, buttocks, and their genitals. They were in agony for months, sometimes, sometimes just days, often months, from grotesque blisters and oozing sores. Oh my god. Yeah. The men in the gas chamber also, you know, experienced intense fear while being locked in there. I'm sure. Yes. And then many of them had long-term health consequences like cancer, asthma, emphysema, eye problems, which included blindness, um, and as well as psychological problems like uh, PTSD and anxiety and all that. So, and then, like, all this research basically found that there was no difference in how people suffered from the gas based on race. Because, I mean, of course not. Yeah, based on because, race. Because, okay, because of we course call, not, yes. As a society, we call race races, But it doesn't mean the same thing, like, as race when it comes to, like, species. You know what I mean? Like, there's truly no yeah, difference, yeah. really, the way that the eugenists thought there was. Like it was just yeah, exactly. it's just silly. Like to <laughs> look back on that, and they really yeah. thought, oh, uh, these people are dumber because they're brown. Like no, bitch. And they really, really tried so hard to, to find these differences. They really thought they were gonna find them, and they especially thought. They and were- there's some dumb. Sorry, I was just gonna say uh-huh. that there's some dumb bitches out there that still think, <laughs> even though it's no. been debunked and debunked and debunked time after time, um they yeah. still think that it's true. Oh, sign, sign, show that IQ. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut, shut, sh- shut the fuck up. Shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck, fuck up. up. Shut, shut, shut up. Yeah. Okay, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, they were so determined to show that black soldiers suffered less symptoms. Another because they had already. <laughs> yeah. Another gross <laughs> You're <right>. racial stereotype <laughs> that impacts black people to this day. Black children to this day. Um, mm-hmm. they're given less black medicine. women. Labor. Yes. Truly disgusting. Yeah. Very, um, and because they had already found Puerto Rican and Japanese soldiers suffered the same as their, their white counterparts, and they kept trying to oh find differences God. in black soldiers. Um, so those experiments lasted a little bit longer, um, but there was no difference. Of course, there, there was wasn't. no difference. No. And more than three hundred thousand, sorry, more than thirty thousand chemical bombs were detonated on the island, and. It's possible that there's still up to 3,000 bombs intact in the jungles of uh, San Jose, the San Jose I'm Island sure in is. Panama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, there was efforts to try and get the United States to clean up. Um, oh, I should add that it was That's also, the least they should fucking do. Yeah. It was also funded by Canada. And so there's fucking been efforts Canada. to get Canada to clean up this mess, too. Because um, the, the United Trudeau? States has... Do your fucking job, yeah. you bitch. <laughs> um, and Canada in like 2000, what was this? I think it was 2012 when I saw this article from 2012. They were refusing to send more cleanup efforts. Why? To this island. Because they're little bitches. They were just like, no. I'm yeah. just tired of yeah, fucking basically. people who keep keep insisting that Canada is full of nice people And that they do no wrong. No, Canada is just like the United States in that they have committed um, genocide. and Atrocities, exactly, yes. Fuck them and fuck the United States. And they often get... Sorry, go on. Yeah, they often get... They get uh, a pass for all this Mm -hmm. shit. um, Because they're sometimes not mentioned. But yeah, they participated and they funded this shit too. So yeah, they have to help in the cleanup efforts. It just... How many times, like... The United States and western, you know, countries do this fucking kind of shit in other countries and they never are never held accountable and they never clean up their shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't um so okay after 1991 when the the United States admitted that they did mustard gas experiments uh, the first time they said we're gonna track these veterans down we're gonna compensate them um, but then they claimed it was too difficult to find all the veterans due to the secrecy of the experiments but in 2015 when NPR read the the 2008 study and they were like we're gonna find these people they found 1200 veterans oh so npr could find them but the united (laughs) states fucking government couldn't because they didn't want to (laughs) that's why yeah yeah um and so this the npr investigation prompted senators to start demanding help for veterans and so they they in 2017 they actually they had introduced this uh, act called the Arla Harrell Act a few times already, twice. And it had been, you know, not passed for a few different reasons. But finally, in 2017, it became part of the Harry W. Culinary Veterans Educational Assistance Act. And it was passed. And so they can now seek help through the VA now in 2017. And this is World War, is War II. It, How many of these veterans that suffered from this were even still alive at that point, you know? Especially because of the illnesses that were brought on by the exposure. Yeah, cancer. I mean, I named a bunch, but yeah, like horrible things. I think as far as I could find, Canada still has not assisted in any of this, um, even though they funded some of this, right? At, At least the veterans that are still alive can receive some compensation now from the United States. but. But yeah, um, you know, just another good old dose of racism <laughs> <laughs> for today. And, you know, because oftentimes it's Veterans Day and everyone's like, oh, happy Veterans Day. But but not enough do we focus on the horrible shit that was done to black soldiers, non-white soldiers, you know. Yeah. Happy Veterans Day to Black soldiers, or sorry, black veterans, uh, Native American veterans, and uh, people of color veterans, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole. There was just so much that I kept finding about World War Two and, you know, Latino, Latina people. And uh, I mean, there's so much that could be talked about that I, I ha- it was hard narrowing down what I was going to talk about. Actually, I told you that I was going yeah. to do Rosita the Riveter. And instead, I found this horrible story. But there are many occasions <laughs> where we can talk about things like this. Yeah. Memorial Day. Isn't there a day of... What's the day? I don't remember what it's called. One of the World War II battles that it's like a Oh, D-Day. <laughs> oh, probably the Yeah, D-Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we could probably do another story similar to that. Um there was actually a Puerto Rican boxer that died in Pearl Harbor, the Pearl really? Harbor attack. He was just there working. He wasn't oh my part God. of the the unit, but um yeah. Uh so yeah, there's I mean, there's so much to talk about that we don't learn about. Um in school when world war ii was taught but yeah um a ton of mexican americans and puerto ricans served in world war ii some were subjected to horrible things like these experiments on top of the racism and uh you know Mm -hmm. other stuff that they were subjected to a lot of women served uh, as well mexico itself had an elite Mm -hmm. aircraft uh, or sorry air force basically squadron that served there was a time where during no actually was that world war 1 when did the mexican revolution take place basically the mexican revolution paused because they were afraid nazis were gonna what <laughs> take over uh or invade mexico and they were they sent a bunch of charros they were charros were ready to fight nazis oh wow <laughs> um so there's a whole lot of stuff that 1910 so well 1910 to 1917 okay so yeah that was because uh, world war ii was in the middle or world war one was in that time frame 1914 to 1918 so yeah so it's world war one then this the, the what i just mentioned right now yeah it's because i think i conflated a lot of the things get conflated in my brain mm-hmm. um but yeah essentially just to say there's a whole lot to talk about uh in terms of world war one and two and historias <laughs> unknown. You know what would be also interesting to talk about, I think it's probably more well known because it's obviously it's like a recent, you know, war. But um I know that there's a lot of um undocumented uh soldiers that served in Iraq. They were literally they were told that they would be able to become documented through serving and of course that didn't happen and then they were deported and a lot of them were in Tijuana and they have built as a community in Tijuana. We should add that to the yeah. list. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard about this um, and I remember seeing Facebook posts where people are like, well, they shouldn't have done this because some of them got deported while being arrested. But you have to keep in mind that some of these people are returning with horrible shit that they're trying to process and, you know, they do turn to drinking. Substance and dues, mental drugs. health issues. Yeah. And those kind of yeah. things lead to people committing crimes because they're not in the right, you know, space and right mind. Mm-hmm. And, and people that are born here Do not get sent away for the same crimes or worse crimes you know yeah and on average so uh immigrants commit less crimes (laughs) than than Mm -hmm. citizens because they're afraid of being deported so yep shut the fuck up (laughs) so in 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 turn we're gonna end this episode with the message shut the fuck up Oh and yeah and I do want to add although I focused on the Puerto Rican men uh, that were affected um black soldiers were highly more affected yeah through these experiments and it, it this is worse because this is all in the same like Tuskegee yeah. Was before this, the syphilis experience we talked mm-hmm. about, eugenicism and science, and it just well, it all a, ties all together. Yes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, um, so, yeah. Happy Veterans Day. <laughs> as a veteran myself. I've been I can waiting to say, about. as Christina here uh-huh. is a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Yeah. And, you know, I will add one more thing, though. Sorry, I know you have to go. It's fine. (laughs) One thing that, and I've I've confronted so many people that I served with. (laughs) Makes sense. And, yeah, there was a lot of... I met a lot of Mexicans and a lot of Puerto Ricans, a lot of I actually met like only like two indigenous people in the army, but a lot of Puerto Ricans and Mexicans and and black people. Right. Everyone's still serving. Everyone has their own reasons to serve. One thing that a lot of people say when they come out, especially after 2020, you know, after all the uprisings that occurred after George Floyd, there were so many people like, oh, we all wore the same uniform. We all bled red. But let me tell you that I experienced a lot of still racism Mm -hmm. and shit in the army and i perpetuated a lot of racist things in the army too um because when you're trying to survive in these systems yeah it's easier to side with the fucking white people yeah right? yeah um so i'm not gonna deny that it was horrible um and i will tell you right now even my own little unit in germany uh black soldiers were uh punished more severely for shit um they were rank was taken for shit when i did worse things like crash a car and leave mm-hmm. And I got seven days of uh, extra duty while someone else hung up on a sergeant and they got like a month of extra duty. Um, the difference was. They had a reputation for being bad, but they were also picked on harder. So the, reputi- the reputation was created. It wasn't yeah. entirely this person's fault. Um yeah, and there was just a bunch of, you know, stereotypes and a bunch of racism. And so when when these veterans, white veterans come out and say, we, we I didn't see any racism, we all played the same. That's because they were the and ones doing it. And not only the white veterans, didn't... but the yeah. veterans of color who have become, have let, have sided, <laughs> I don't know how to say, you know, with, um have oh, aligned yeah, themselves with whiteness and have, you yeah. know, internalized racism because of it they'll also say the same thing Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's and we never win when we align with whiteness and i feel like no we don't a lot of times we do have to buy into the systems yeah let me tell you one thing though that so i was in germany and we were like at a gun range just waiting around and i don't know what we were talking about that i was like making fun of some Some of my fellow black soldiers. And they were like, what the fuck are you doing? You're not one of them. You know that, right? Dumbass. And I was like, I felt so attacked, but they were fucking right. And you deserve (laughs) to be attacked. (laughs) I did. I did. I'm glad they called you out. (laughs) I'm glad I needed it. Uh, they were right. They were right, and I was a dumbass. Um, so yeah, call your call your people out. But they literally were like, "What are you doing, Hernandez? You dumbass! You're That's not one of them." That's the same shit though. Like, like I tell, and I'm, I won't like mention who or whatever. But we have people like that. We all have people like that in our lives. Yeah. That I'm like, what are you doing? Okay, you can, you can. I don't know. You can be in the military. You can have white friends. You can have a white partner. You can have, have, you know, white children. And guess what? At the end of the day, you are still brown. Your last name is still, you know, a Latino last name. Hernandez. Hernandez. (laughs) In my case. Yes. And at at the end of the day, they they will still perpetuate racism against you and your children because your children are brown too. Um, And it's not going to change unless white people make that change. Yeah. Until we beat them up. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we don't we have to fight violence. them. <laughs> I literally just no, said I'm just we don't No violence and you're like, we have to fight them. <laughs> um, throw hands. All, all that no, to say kidding. that yeah, it, does, it does not, in the end, it does not benefit us to align ourselves and assimilate with whiteness. Like, And there's there are things yeah. that we can't get away from from doing that because it's a survival thing. But there are times that we can and we should, you know, not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so much. Uh, and since Veterans Day is coming up, uh, before I end this, I do want to say if anyone wants to go check out, I've talked about them all the time. But one Black, one Mike History has a really good episode on the Tuskegee Airmen. Fun fact: a lot of Puerto Ricans uh, either trained or served with the oh, Tuskegee I didn't know that. Airmen. Um, yeah, I learned. I that just yesterday. watched an episode of <laughs> Nailed It where they make. Um, I think it was during Black History Month, so they made um, cakes of the Tuskegee Airmen. <laughs> <laughs> this one lady spelled nice. it wrong. And then in the beginning, Nicole Bayer couldn't say Tusk. She's like tusk, Tus- tuskegy, <laughs> Yeah, well, we all, we all do, do right? What, what is it? Yeah. How are we pronouncing? I've been before? saying Tuskegee. <laughs> Tuskegee. And it's Tuskegee. And yeah, that's hard to know. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Again, there's like so much that you could dive into World War II and uh Latin American history. Um, oh, all the people that were all the Japanese uh people that were in Latin American countries that were deported to intermittent camps. I almost wanted to look into mm-hmm. that, but it's just, just so too topics. much. Yeah. It's a little time. And I think <laughs> before we before we end and before we close, and we could go on and on. But you know, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that pretend they are like pro veterans and at the end of the day they vote for people that actually do harm to veterans. Um and mm-hmm. if if you're about it, really be about it, right? A lot of veterans are um unhoused. They have mental health issues, they have substance use issues. And if you are, you know, pro prisons, pro police, then you are anti veteran. <laughs> no, you're right though. It's yeah. true. Um, whether people want to see it yeah. or not, yeah okay and i mean that's Uh, it i'm off myself okay (laughs) yeah that's it that's it before before we go on for another long ass time (laughs) that is it for us today thank you so much for listening if you are enjoying the podcast feel free to leave us a five-star rating uh you could do that uh, on apple Podcasts. you could do that in spotify so yeah and thank you for um new listeners i forgot to welcome everyone but we do have new listeners oh welcome Um, people welcome yeah yeah welcome thank you thank you uh, for joining us in your weekly uh, raging (laughs) that's what we do here if we're not raging we're crying (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) all right we'll catch everyone next time thanks bye. bye